guys, welcome to Rank and Vile, the podcast where we attempt to rank every single horror movie ever made. And this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? Uh, I took my kids on a road trip this weekend, so uh, I've been listening to a lot of Captain Underpants on audiobook. I hate Captain Underpants. Like, it's not that it's a kid's thing, it's that it's bad. It is very bad. I hate it as well. Bring me also, the head of Dave Pilkey. Um, because my, my kid is so into it, we bought him a pack of Captain Underpants Underpants. Mm-hmm. Those... Those carny motherfuckers put a white <laughs> pair of briefs in there and just said, like, so you can be captured underpants. Unbelievable. Like, they, you know what they in did? In their pack of printed underoos, those bastards put a single white pair of underwear. You know what they did? They, at the, back at the, the book warehouse where Dave Pilkington, I assume, hangs upside down from the ceiling like a fruit bat. They, they are just, they've got some poor intern tearing open giant bulk bags of Fruit of the Looms that they're just stuffing in there. And that's Here's it. Like, there's, that's it's not so even branded. annoying about Captain Underpants is the origin story is Dave Pilkey was in second grade and he drew a comic strip in class because he was bored, and that's where uh, Captain Underpants came from. Well, and also and I feel like I know it's supposed to be like an inspirational Horatio Alger. Hey, kids, if you oh, do no. what you love, you'll get to make a career out of it mm-hmm. but also it's like we're really gonna just keep the draft that you came up with in second grade that's it okay well, well that that's <laughs> <laughs> sure imagine his literary agent his editor that's like all right um and then the talking toilets um eat the gym teacher okay fine cool uh, dave printer. thanks I mean, dave I, I, how do you have drinks with a guy like dave pilkey like that's i feel like less than the horatio alger like bootstrap thing what it says to me more is all of your dumb ideas are good ideas and you could get paid for your dumb ideas if you just meet the right people at the right time, which actually is kind of inspirational. Like maybe Are you familiar with the rest of Pilkey's oeuvre? I certainly am not, but I hope you'll tell me. <laughs> He's got a series called Dogman, which when I first saw it on the <laughs> newsstand, you've probably seen Dogman books at, oh, a Target or a Barnes & Noble or any fine chain bookseller. I feel like um, I must have blocked it out. It's like an anthropomorphic dog who, like, saves crime. Or at least I thought. Then my nephew sat me down and explained, no, no, no. Dogman was an actual police officer who got in a horrible accident with his police dog, and the wires got switched, and instead of sewing his regular head back on, they sewed the dog's head onto his body. I, so Dogman is a dog... <laughs> headed man who fights crime in regular human society it's not a fun ninja turtle-esque you know animals walking on two legs society nope it's a regular man with a dog's head fighting crime you know what actually i was about i was about to clown on that and then i was like you know what i've seen wolf cop I'm. I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm already right there. You know what I mean? Like I'm. I'm a hop and a skip away from Dogman, which to me was like initially I was like, okay, so somebody had a radioactive golden retriever, and now they eat dog biscuits, and it's just like they're Dogman now. Because like if, with Dave Pilkey, 
they're really like with with Captain Underpants. I think for me, it's that it's mostly what it's taking advantage of is the fact that kids love fart jokes. They do. That's, they're it's, it's, it's like the appeal. pinnacle of comedy. Yeah, and I yeah, uh, Dave Pilkey. I think you know you know what it is as as somebody who also has ADHD and he frequently gets cited as a kind of. Uh, success story for ADHD kids. Like, if you just keep that nose to the grindstone and write underwear cartoons, you too can milk your ADHD into a lucrative career. And it's like, look, first of all, that guy doesn't represent me as someone who can't pay attention. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm a Ritalin kid from way back, and I disavow all knowledge of Dave Pilkey. Get out of my house. Now, Ryan, are the uh, pop-punk band the Ritalin kids good representation <laughs> for ADHD children? The pop-punk band the Ritalin kids are great uh, ADHD kid uh, representation, which also, I, side I note, always found that album cover so fascinating because it's a guy getting kicked by a cheerleader, and uh-huh. her toes are like into his throat they're so deep into his crotch which is mostly incredible because what that says to me is that her toes specifically are like steel like her foot (laughs) is not that strong but her she's got like a knuckle duster but for feet like she's just kicking you with these brutal brutal talons um so quincy what it's tough out there i am a strong proponent for (laughs) toe dusters you know yeah toe dusters listen you know a lot of people will tell you to carry uh keys in your fist when you're walking through the parking lot do that but also have uh a card up your sleeve and that card is uh toe knuckle dusters did you ever like cross your fingers when you were wishing for something oh constantly when you were a kid, did you ever cross your fingers and cross your arms and cross your legs and then try to cross your toes in your shoes, or was that just me? Oh, I wasn't that motivated. No, I I, I, did, <laughs> I was really half-assed, so I just did the finger thing. Why? So that you 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 crossed your everything. Yeah, yeah, you cross your everything, and then your wish will come true. <laughs> you know what though? That's that's just economical because you know you're, you're you're taking advantage of every way in which you could possibly cross yourself. You do yeah. that while you're like, you know, just sort of doing a cross shape with your arms, like in the in the uh, Scott Stapp from Creed pose. You do it at a crossroads. <laughs> you eat hot hot cross buns. What ghoul shit have you been consuming this week? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. Uh, I mean, beyond the horror that is Captain Underpants, uh-huh. I've been playing a lot of uh, video games on my Nintendo. And Excellent. I don't know if Bury Me, My Love counts as ghoul shit mm-hmm. or not. Have you heard of this game? No, never heard of it. So I got it because it was super cheap on the eShop for Nintendo. It mm-hmm. is a game where you are a um, spouse and your wife has is fleeing Syria as a refugee (laughs) and you have to give her advice over text message so the entire game is just a phone screen and you can toggle your apps to look at the gps and look at like streaming news and then you have to select your emoji or your advice for her and it it makes radio silence the most like wrenching like oh someone is shooting at our bus and then in real time the minutes go by without hearing a response and then oh false alarm we're fine and Uh, then hey let's talk about cable tv right now and you have to pretend that everything is okay (laughs) for the sake of your spouse who's traveling uh across the baltic holy shit and this is a game for switch 
Yeah, it's a game for Nintendo. You can get it for other systems, too. It, I think, originally came out on mobile, which might be the perfect platform uh, mm-hmm. to play a game that simulates a mobile phone, is to actually have a mobile phone. I think, right. from what I read, the mobile phone one actually does play at real time. You can't skip ahead. This one, you could speed the clock up so that like mm-hmm. you don't have to actually wait a full day between text messages. I think I read that there's a setting on the original version where you get a text at 10:40 at night, and it's, um, it's your wife saying, "Hey, I finally got to the hotel." This is so you I you said Nintendo Switch, and I was like, "Oh, you're playing Pokemon's," and then it's your wife is in danger. Yeah, this is <laughs> Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. So is it is it fun? Yes, it's very fun. I'm a big Excellent. fan of. See, I was going to use the term visual novel, but that's got mm-hmm. such, like, porn oh. baggage to it that it's, like, it's not really doing it justice to, to call it a visual novel. Well, and also, um, I mean, like, uh, I don't know if you ever played Dear Esther uh, back in the day. Um, that was basically a playable novel where it was sort of, you know, you, you it's sort of the illusion of interactivity where there's, like, this story unfolding and you're sort of just like uh, following things around and like you're technically hitting like keys to move forward but you're mostly just experiencing the thing in real time without being able to interact with the environment in any real way which is also a lot like Bioshock Infinite uh, (laughs) but with a worse uh, but, but Bioshock Infinite has a much worse story so what have you been up to? <laughs> oh man, this is so. Uh, my dad uh, was in town for a few days in Los Angeles, and so I, I, my dad being kind of a weirdo as well, um, and like you've met my dad, like he's basically just a taller version of me. Um, <laughs> he, you know, he was in town, and I was, you know, he was trying to figure out what kind of stuff he wanted to do in Los Angeles because he lives out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Um, and I thought it would be fun to go to the Museum of Jurassic Technology in Culver City. Have you heard of the Museum of Jurassic Technology? Please, no. Please tell me about this museum. Holy shit. So, uh, it makes you... So, uh, relatedly, I also... I I saw Cats 2019, um, last week, and it gave me a similar feeling of, like, your brain is melting like ice cream and dripping out your nose and you're drinking it back up with a goofy straw where you sort of like it makes you question your your grip on reality so what what the museum of jurassic technology is is this weird big labyrinthine museum uh that that is full of things that are either half true or actually true or completely false and you kind of don't know which thing is total bullshit and which thing is actually just a thing. Like, they've got um, sort of an example of ant larvae that you can use to grow yourself another limb. They've got, you know, a, a room dedicated to the, the Soviet uh, dogs that died in space. They've got... Um, it, it's, it's, it's one of these things where you, you sort of... They've got these little uh, instructional, like sort of, you know, you, you know those museums, you, like you get when you go to the, uh, the, the, excuse me, the, the videos you get when you go to the museum, where like you sort of sit down and press a button, and then like the Mister DNA uh, cartoon jumps to life. Yeah, um, and a lot of it is that, and a lot of it is just sort of, it is extremely, uh, it's it's very dim. Like there's not a lot of light in the place, which sort of just adds to the ambience. When you walk out of the Museum of Jurassic Technology, you um. You emerge blinking like an infant, where you sort of, in the sunlight, you have no idea where you've been, you've lost time, it's three hours later, nothing you, it's, so needless to say, my dad liked it very much, um, 
And mostly, I think, during uh, the tour, it was also amazing because they have this uh, section at the top that's like a tea room for some reason where a lady dressed like late 70s Stevie Nicks will give you pretty good tea and you can sit and look at wood pigeons. This sounds like a rude impersonation of a place in Los Angeles, and it kind of is, and I love it with my whole heart. Um, This sounds like the kind of thing that, uh, if this were publicly funded... Everybody running, like, every conservative running for office in Los Angeles would be like, and my first promise is to fucking get rid of that weird, creepy museum that lies to me. Not on my tax dollars. Not on my dime. Okay, so, so yeah. you just blew right on past the fact that you you paid human dollars to see cats in a theater. <laughs> <laughs> Did I see it? I, I feel like my brain swallowed that experience. It was... We need... Oh, all right, all right, all right. So I went to go see it with uh, Foz Meadows, uh, who uh, has been on the podcast a couple of times. And uh, and his review, which I read today, oh, is man. the best review of Cats, uh, which explains why it's so fucking weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, listeners, if you if you haven't seen uh, this incomparably good review of Cats 2019, I don't know why I have to, why I have to say Cats 2019 as though there's any other <laughs> movie called Cats. But it's almost like I'm commemorating a, a tragedy where I'm just like, it's like 9-11 where I'm like, Cats 2019. Um, but uh, Foz, if you want to read this review, folks, it's at uh, fozmeadows.wordpress.com. Um, that movie, Buckwild kind of doesn't cover it. Um, I saw it under ideal conditions because there were two very old ladies who clearly like had seen Cats during its like, initial run in the 80s or whatever. Um, and they were, they were super into the movie. They were excited. They laughed at the jokes. They were, they cried during memory. They applauded over the credits. They applauded over the credits. The fucking credits happened and they clapped and cheered. And I, which really just added to the experience of like, I think I'm losing my mind. (laughs) Like, and, and it's incredible because like, this was one of the cuts of the movie where like, they hadn't patched it yet because they released the movie and everyone went, wow, this looks super fucked up. And then they released a version of the film that kind of fixed a bunch of the visual problems because Tom Hooper doesn't know how to do CG. I think it's wild that it's a Hollywood movie that they released a patch. They're like, the video game industry (laughs) does this all the time. We can totally just fix our fuck-ups. They pulled a Bethesda, I think. They waited for people to watch the movie and report bugs. And then, because, like, Bethesda does that, where they just, like, they'll release, like, Fallout 4, and everyone's like, hey, uh, this thing, this thing, and this thing were fucked up. And, and they sort of, uh, yeah, well, no, we know, here's the, 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 the patch for that. And it's, the thing is that it's not better. Um, cats, like, you've, they've got human hands and feet kind of interchange, like, sometimes in the movie. Um, they, and, and the thing is that it's a perfect maelstrom of things that work to disorient you, because... Sometimes the, the, the anthropomorphic cat people, which, side note here, Tom Hooper, consult with some furry artists. Like, they've been out here doing anthropomorphic cats for years. There is, there is precedent on how to do this. Like, the, the tails sometimes come out of their buttholes, sometimes the tailbone, they, they shift perspective and size, and Tom Hooper attempts to superimpose a plot over cats. Which is man? A, that's a, a fool's errand. It's a fool's there. errand. I'm telling you, it's 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 a it's a mugs game. It it makes um so, yeah. We at some point on the podcast, we definitely have to have Foz on to discuss the experience of watching Cats 2019. 
So, so here's another thing um, that I need to know. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been told that Rebel Wilson's cat unzips her cat skin and steps out of it. Well, okay. So, first of all, yes. Second of all, her character, Jenny Any Dots. Fuck you, T.S. Eliot. Um, I have several tattoos of T.S. Eliot. Uh, she but so why, Rebel, uh, okay, maybe that's the the true crux of all of this is why mm-hmm. did T.S. Eliot write that fucking book? Was it you just like a goof or <laughs> maybe he just really liked cats? I always think of that as like uh, Sir Alec Guinness deciding to do fucking Star Wars and that <laughs> an enduring thing because he was a fucking he was an actor he was a fucking actor he'd done shakespeare he'd been in lawrence of arabia and then was like uh sure yeah i'll be in star wars you know sir alec guinness was recorded as frequently writing back to little children and saying don't watch these shit movies (laughs) like you're wasting your time kid stop asking me what it was like it was a paycheck (laughs) i'm just picturing please watch real cinema Oh my god, I'm just picturing Alleganis going, fuck them, kids. Like, it's just just <laughs> mailing it back. Holy shit, legend. Um, but, yeah, no. It. Uh, I, I keep thinking of that one tweet that was like, um, the Vincent Van Gogh episode of Doctor Who, but it's taking T.S. Eliot and showing him the movie version of Cats. <laughs> Rebel Wilson, right? So Rebel yep. Wilson. So she un- not only unzips her her skin, revealing another Cronenbergian cat body under that cat body. A thing she does twice in this movie, by the way. What? Yeah, yeah, motherfucker. She, oh my god, she does this during a dance number with cockroaches that all have little people faces, and then she eats the cockroaches. Later on, there are mice with human faces. And the thing about it is, one has to believe that every being in this movie has a human face. It starts out with a human being dropping off the uh, Victoria the cat in a bag. So you wonder, like, does what does the human look like? And then later on, there's a dog the that human menaces has them. The cat face. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. And he just kind of, like, throws the... Oh, my God. It, what it is, um, there's one scene in the movie where... Uh, I don't... I hate that I know their names. You mean there's Mungo Jerry and Rumpelteaser? Rumpelteaser. Jesus God, my brain is tapioca. I want to I want to die. There's a bit where they're like uh, uh, running the jewels. Talk about that Rumpelteaser. Yeah, all we Yeah, what do you, what do you know about Rumpelteaser? And so they're they're like robbing a house and then a dog comes to harass them and then you'd never see the dog which says to me that is a large dog with a people face. And the important thing here is that it's like a Lovecraft thing. Like, I I woke up bloody and naked in the parking lot. I had lost childhood memories. Everything tasted <laughs> like pennies. It was, yeah, it was a lot. So was the la- were the ladies, like, did you get a good look at their clothes? Did they have cat appliques on their clothes? Oh, no, they didn't have cat appliques, but they did look like the art teacher who gets baked. <laughs> and, like, listens to, to Simon and Garfunkel. Like, they definitely look like the sort of... Uh, they they use Dr. Bronner's soap. You know what I mean? Like, you, you know <laughs> yeah, without yeah. knowing that their fridge has, has Dr. Bronner's Say no soap. more. Yeah, yeah, no, you, you know. Um, so, speaking so, of weird musicals, I watched um, Nickelodeon aired the SpongeBob musical in, like, a special made-for-TV sing-along production. Oh, fuck yeah. Um... Ryan, there's a SpongeBob SquarePants Broadway musical. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's got gravitas. 
Yeah, yeah. Honestly, SpongeBob has aged kind of beautifully, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, like, there's a whole number where Squidward's like, I'm not a loser, I promise. And if only everyone would just see that I'm not a loser. <laughs> Jesus. You know what it is? It, it seems like um, the, the name SpongeBob SquarePants... It sounds like a mean parody of a children's show by an angry baby boomer who's like, eh, the kids, they're just watching the SpongeBob SquarePants and the... And, like, that sounds like a, a, a parody of a thing, but then actually it rules and is good. Yeah, it's funny you mention that because I watched it with my dad and the whole uh-huh. time he said that actor's pants are not square at all. They're just regular <laughs> pants. It's like, this so, is such an absurd show. That guy's not a sponge at all. It's a human being just well, in a yellow the... shirt and plaid pants. It's really weird production value mm-hmm. because we all know that Broadway shows are, like, insanely expensive. But yeah. they went out of their way to make it look cheap, which uh-huh. leaves me feeling some kind of way. Which is a brave choice, but also, like, I don't want to feel like they're not... I don't want to feel like I'm going to see a show and they're, like, rolling out the plastic dishes for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's bizarre. Yeah. So, speaking of bizarre, upsetting things, <laughs> let's start about Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> that is that is a fucking segue. Well done. So, SpongeBob SquarePants is great. Cannibal Holocaust, on the other hand. So, this is... Holy shit. So, from 1980, Cannibal Holocaust. It is a... Uh, it's an Italian horror movie uh, of, of legend, I would say, by this point. Now... Are there found footage horror that predate this? Um, that's a good question. I feel like no. I can't think of any found footage horror movies before Cannibal Holocaust. That... I think there might be some 70s Bigfoot movies, but mm-hmm. none that are as notable as this one. Yeah, and in fairness, this one doesn't go full found footage. A lot of it is found footage. Um, where it's sort of cutting back and forth between... So, all right, so we should, we should, we should get into to, to what the movie is. Um, the, the plot of the thing is that this documentary crew, um, which is basically like Fleetwood Mac on vacation. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's just these weird 20-somethings who fuck, and they've all decided to go dick around in the rainforest and videotape um, indigenous people, which, by the way, we should probably get this out of the way off top. This movie is super racist. Oh, um, it is horribly racist. Horrifyingly racist. Like, it's it's a, you know, it's sort of doing the whole, like, you know, uh, uh, the Amazon rainforest thing where they're, like, showing indigenous people, but this is, like, an insulting... I mean, it's, like, an impersonation of indigenous people where they're all sort of wearing butt flaps and running around and, like, shooting darts at people. And I think um, in one scene, it's very clearly they've just painted actors with black paint. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, and, and a lot of this, like, I feel like uh, sort of right out of the gate, we need to acknowledge that this is a really racist depiction of indigenous people. Um, and the plot of the movie is that this documentary crew went to the rainforest to go shoot a documentary about them, and then they disappeared. So this other guy um, decides to go looking for the footage, and so he ventures into the rainforest and finds it, and then realizes that everything is actually very bad forever, and then they decide not to release the footage. Yeah, except that for some reason we're watching it. Well, right. So it, it sort of it does the found footage thing, but then it cuts back and like it has a score throughout. Which, by the way, I gotta I gotta mention, there is an honest to Christ uh, love theme from Cannibal Holocaust that sort of plays throughout this movie. It's very pretty. You know, um, like you totally get. Yeah, absolutely. I I I. I 
this movie, like, it's got a score, it's got actors, it, you know, over the credits of the thing, it has the actors' names. I, I also want to lead with the fact that in terms of found footage, this movie, its commitment to a bit was actually pretty impressive. So they, they, they uh, made this movie, and then all of the actors signed a contract that said that for a year after the making of Cannibal Holocaust, they'd all, like, lie low and, you know, sort of cool their heels somewhere and not come, you know, not, not be in the public eye for a year to provide the illusion that this might be a snuff film. Um, and the director was on trial for murder for Cannibal Holocaust um, because they thought this was an honest-to-God snuff film, and the actors actually had to come out of hiding and appear and be like, uh, no, yeah, hey, hi, we're still alive, this, this, was, this, was, this was a movie. Um, but, so this movie, I feel like there's so much more about this movie that is interesting aside from the movie itself. Yeah, the other thing that's really interesting is it is a movie that features actual animal mutilation a lot um, of animal mutilation a whole lot and um what's fascinating is the way that it works with your brain is that mm -hmm. once you see you see simulated violence and then you see the real violence and then you see more simulated violence and it goes back and forth so much you lose mm -hmm. sense of what's real anymore well, and that's exactly right. Like, I th which I think is sort of the idea behind it. That like when they when they show so the animals uh, that are killed on screen, which number uh, six animal deaths on screen, seven killed for production, and includes a coati, uh, c o a t i, which is mistaken for a muskrat in the film, which is killed with a knife, a giant turtle who is uh, I say who, although you know what, giant turtles are pretty smart, so I'm gonna go with who. Uh, gets genuinely decapitated and its limbs, shells, and entrails removed. A tarantula gets killed with a machete. A boa constrictor gets killed on screen with a machete. A squirrel monkey gets decapitated with a machete. And a pig gets shot in the head at point-blank rage by a 22 caliber rifle. So this is stuff that you see on screen that, like, either... And your, your, your brain knows, like, either they've got a fucking incredible animatronics department in 1980... Or we're just watching shoot animal murder. It is the yeah. second one. Yeah, so um, because you're seeing actual animals being murdered, and it doesn't look real. Like, every time you see an animal get killed, you're like, that can't be real, because it's not as gory as I would expect. And so then right. when you see the bad practical effects for the cannibal ism you're like well that's also not what i expect so is <coughs> yeah, that real well, too like it's it's really a mind fuck of a movie well and the thing is it i i think of it as the texas chainsaw effect which is it definitely it genuinely produces the i should not be watching this feeling yeah. where you know you're watching the stuff unfolding on screen now i we i i want to point out the documentary crew in this movie uh in, within the context of the movie, deserves to be murdered more than any group of people have ever deserved to be murdered. Oh, yeah. They're very bad people. And also, the college professor and his, like, guide are also very bad. They capture a 
indigenous person and just blow cocaine up his nose and they're like yeah he's gonna be great now he'll they just follow they, us. They, bl- they, they blow a fat rail of cocaine up an unconsenting person's nose and it's it's awful but so everybody involved in the making of this movie is awful um or not in the making of the movie every character in the movie is is awful um the director has expressed remorse for having made this movie because of all the animal cruelty um That's and basically good. well and, and the idea is i think for a lot of it, um, what this movie is doing is a kind of we live in a society thing where it's like, you know, sure, these indigenous people are cannibals, but who are the, you know, the, the, the guy watches all of the footage at the end and then walks out and says, like, who are the real cannibals? And it's like, that's great, man. That I we, we still, you, I don't know. I, I kind of can't swallow an enormous amount of um, moralizing from the movie Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like it requires such backflips to justify it mm-hmm. that it's really it, it's it's ascribing more than it really deserves. Yeah, or definitely. Even. Oh yeah, and and I think also uh, the thing is the acting. Now, all right, so the 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 filmmaking crew, and I I'm okay with spoilers for Animal Holocaust. I think. Yeah, don't watch this movie. Don't, don't watch Animal Holocaust. But, so, the thing that happens to the crew is that they sort of pull a uh, Heart of Darkness where they, they, they go to the the rainforest and then sort of devolve themselves into, like, burning a hut full of children alive just to film it. They, you know, they, they pull all manner of horrifying things on this, on this uh, indigenous population, and the idea is, like, Oh man, you know who the you know who the real monsters are, and it's it's these guys, and like sure that's great, but like I you're telling me that they're still gonna be filming all of their fucking crimes against humanity out in the rainforest, um, so that you know they 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 pull all manner of fuckery and then uh, they die of natural causes, which is to say that they are all brutally uh, murdered and eaten, um, by the by the indigenous tribe. Now the thing is, I I do love. And I'm sure you can back me up here. Nature horror as a thing fucking rules. Yeah. I also really like that um, if you catch it, like the first thing they do is they call the jungle the green um, inferno, which is clearly what um, was being used for Eli Roth when he's like, I'm going to just remake this movie with bros and it'll be... You know, I'll just call it the Green Inferno, and like yeah. the people on the inside will get it. And this was like a really popular genre for a minute. Yeah, well, I mean, by which you mean sort of uh, nature stuff, or like indigenous tribes murdering people, or just cannibal exploitation films. Like there is yeah. cannibal exploitation, and it's it's a really interesting thing that people especially like the italian film market was really going for oh the italians need need therapists um so here's the question can you add exploitation onto pretty much anything and make a new genre um there's kissploitation nonsploitation sexploitation yeah there's just there's a lot of exploitations and i feel like Cannibal exploitation. I feel like, but I feel like uh, America was having a moment in the late seventies and early eighties where they were like, "Cannibalism, what the fuck's up with that?" And then Cannibal Holocaust sort of tries to answer that question, except you don't. I I, I got to point this out. You don't see a lot of honesty. Like you don't see a lot of cannibalism on screen. 
No, there's a lot of savagery, but not actual cannibalism. Uh, it yeah. reminds me a lot of, um, I don't know if you can relate as a, another depressed teenager, but I spent mm-hmm. a lot of weekends watching the History Channel at 2 a.m., and they used to oh, have sure. like those Secrets of the Taboo specials, and they would always have one on cannibalism. And it's like, the most taboo thing in the world is cannibalism, and... You Which know, and you'd have a let, bunch let, of guys in blazers talking about why cannibalism is is gross and crazy, right? Which and and yeah, and and let's not be coy. I am totally cool with my body being eaten after I die. Like that's I I'm I'm kind of okay with it in the regard that a I won't be using it anyway, and then b I don't know. I feel like it could be kind of a fun experience because at least you get to know what human flesh tastes like. Because like. I don't know. I I wonder, you know, like, I think everyone kind of has that question of, like, do humans taste as bad as I think they do? And apparently, um, the tastiest and best part of the human being to eat is the the meat from your hand um, between your thumb and your palm. It is that, yeah, that, that meaty little section apparently is the best tasting part. But according to most people who have, like, eaten human flesh, it tastes like pig. Oh. Yeah, apparently I mean, I've like heard pork. of long pig, like the whole. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah, the long pig, um, which is also incredible. There's uh, so in Cannibal Holocaust, they definitely there is a synth chord that gets played on like a Yamaha DX7 every time uh, an act of animal cruelty happens on screen. Um, I'm I'm not gonna lie to you, I I could not watch the giant turtle scene. Yeah. So here is what uh, concerns me. Mm-hmm. is when I first watched this movie, I was in college, and mm-hmm. I openly wept in my dorm room while watching it because it was <laughs> just so upsetting. I just cried and didn't look away, but just, like, sobbed and watched it through the tears. Mm-hmm. Um, then I watched it last week uh, alone, drinking a cup of coffee and unblinking, <laughs> and I'm very worried about what's happened to me. <laughs> Well, I think that what it is, it's like, it's the unreality of the thing where you know that this isn't a movie, so you're sort of able to just sort of like, all right, I'm just going to watch this, I guess. Like, I also, like, I kept sort of squirming and looking away from the turtle, but then I would look back and sort of go, oh, Jesus. And then, you know, because, like, I don't know when to stop looking away, so I keep looking back and kind of like, all right, that turtle is still definitely getting disemboweled. And, and, yeah, and, and here's the thing that's wild about it is... Mm-hmm. Um, the movie's directed by uh, Ruggiero Diodato. Um, I think that's how you pronounce his yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Diodato changes film stock because the turtle is from the found footage section. So mm-hmm. the fact that he adds, like, fake graininess even, like, further obfuscates what mm-hmm. is real, what is fiction. So, yeah. like, on a technical level, it's pretty good. But on a I mean... moral level, it is beyond fucked yeah it's beyond fucked but i feel like i i'm in the weird position of being a against animal cruelty but then i'm like i mean how the fuck do i imagine my cheeseburger got to my plate now i have read that the crew it was shot on location and i have read that the crew actually ate all of the animals they killed because yeah, actually, that was the um, food they were eating. The the monkey brains they when when they when they kill the spider monkey they definitely eat the the monkey brains um off off camera which is kind of nice you know, uh but I, I think that the thing I kept thinking of was like okay, I mean and I don't know that this is a thing that 
You know what? Actually, I'm going to give Cannibal Holocaust credit on this point. I think it's a decent exploration of violence and why we tolerate certain kinds of violence and certain kinds of things we can't deal with, where I'm like, okay, I mean, I it's it's uncomfortable for me to watch a pig getting shot point blank in the face, but then I'm also like, yeah, but I would, you know, basically the same thing happened to every animal I've eaten ever. Like, yeah, they, they and, didn't, and they, like, yeah. that's, gr- that's the gross part, but this woman being impaled from stem to stern is not a problem yeah and you're i think that it does man i i don't know i I think i give the movie credit because it is exploring how much is too much and it's taking it to its logical conclusion in 1980 by the way which is fucking ballsy seven years later diodato's like no more uh no more exploit no more exploita- exploitation. I'm going to direct the Barbarian Brothers as the Barbarians in the movie The Barbarians. <laughs> Man, good for him. I feel like if you did Cannibal Holocaust, like, look, David Johansson from the New York Dolls did the song Hot, Hot, Hot as Buster Poindexter. Like, at a certain point, you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that shit anymore. Also, um, Michael Berryman is in The Barbarians. Fuck B- Michael Barbarian? Um... Man, Michael Berryman, who's been in fucking everything. Uh, I, I love Michael Berryman. He's he's perfect. Um, but honestly, like, with Cannibal Holocaust, I think that, like, there's a hyper-reality to it. Because, and like you said, like, with everything being mixed together with obviously fake and genuine, you know, animal uh, cruelty, I think that it your brain auto-completes the fake violence on screen to being real violence. Yeah, and I mean, so, it's the same reason why we fall in love and, like, ships is because our brains are yeah. too dumb to realize that's fake. Well, yeah, I mean, our brains are, are, are uh, basically in on it and just sort of trying to, to make us do that. Um, and now, the thing is also, uh, th- so I think that the, the thesis of the movie, tell me if I'm wrong, and, and, and this might just be me, like, navel-gazing, I feel like the thesis of Cannibal Holocaust, which can uh, sort of contrast, and which, by the way, I, I should also point out here, there's this movie has something in common with Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer in the regard that you watch a scene in this movie where the documentarians um, assault one of the villagers and, like, sort of gang rape her for, like, un- an uncomfortably long amount of time on screen, and I think you're, you as the viewer are meant to f- feel fucking uncomfortable with this and want and like you, you're like waiting for the scene to be over, in the way that in Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer you watch uh, Otis and Henry murdering the shit out of this this family and you're not really allowed to look away from it. And I think that that happens before we watch this documentary crew get turned into slushies uh, because they've been terrorizing these villagers. And I feel like the movie is trying to do this thing where they're like, who are the who are the real monsters? Like, is, you know, Western... And, and, and the, the, the group in charge of salvaging the footage and trying to find a venue for it, the idea is that, like, well, you know, it's sort of like a if it bleeds, it leads sort of thing, that, like, the people are hungry for filth and we gotta provide it. And I think it's trying to go our... By our, I mean, you know, the West. The West's need for blood and violence is just as brutal as this tribe of cannibals need to inflict it. Yeah, I think there's something to that. Um, and it's supposed to just 
leave you feeling like I think just feeling conflicted is the way to to go. Also, well, and it makes you feel like you need to take a fucking shower mostly. Yeah, and and another thing that's notable is Deodato made other cannibal movies years before so this is not his first cannibal movie so he's kind of ready to start talking about like okay why is this a genre that we're so obsessed with why is this a thing that we keep doing why do we keep going to south america to film these and what are we actually doing to the local actors when we're doing this so like yeah it's smarter than I want to give it credit for. Yeah, and in in and like genuinely, I think for me, like I mean, let's let's not shit ourselves. The reason we did Cannibal Holocaust for this week is because it's sort of the standard for transgressive horror movies. Yeah, yeah, it's unavoidable. Like, it's unavoidable, and it's I think part of part of the conversation because of like if this were just some like garbage exploitation movie. We wouldn't still be talking about it. Like we're not, we're not still talking about the uh, Toby Hooper movie in where the alligator eats people and Robert Englund is there. Like it's an exploitation yeah, movie, mean, but it's not like we yeah. get it. It's his, the, the alligator is his penis. <laughs> yeah, eaten alive is yeah, it's terrible. But I feel like the reason we're still talking about Cannibal Holocaust is because it genuinely pushes the envelope about as far as it possibly can. And then sort of goes, all right, folks, thanks for coming out. Thanks for watching Cannibal Holocaust. And then you're sort of left with this feeling of like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, I just watched that entire movie. And I feel like there is virtue in that to take a thing as far as possible, but pull back and and like take it as far as possible without honest to God committing murder on screen. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, and, and the reason we watched it for this week was because it, again, it is the standard. Um, how exactly now here's a fun question how the fuck do you rate a movie like cannibal holocaust man i don't know have you ever heard of ferox ferox no so craft fair games made a cannibal holocaust card game called ferox shut up and it's an asymmetrical card game where one person plays the natives and one person the other person plays the film crew and it's literally the art is it's it's this illustrated art that's made to look like this. There's a guide and a script girl and a pilot, and they all have ridiculous 70s haircuts. And there's power-up cards that are like, do a bump of cocaine. Oh, look, I found some <laughs> ammunition. And, wow. And the cannibals are represented by meeples. So, like, if right. you're the natives, you have, like, a hundred tiny wooden cubes and you just place them on the cards that make the board of, of the players trying to get through the jungle. And the, the whole idea is either eat all the, the crew or the crew just survives the encounter. And Holy shit. Oh, it's also comes in a cardboard box with um, VHS stickers on it. See, it's honestly just by the grace of God that Cannibal Holocaust didn't come out in the mid to late 80s because somebody at some TV network would have been like, can we do a kid's cartoon? Uh, so honestly, the fact that we got yeah, a card yeah. game out of Cannibal Holocaust... An series? Uh, and then we can have like, you know, the cannibal crew and it's just like a bunch of kids hanging out and like, it. yeah. 
it but Jesus like Christ. the best thing about ferox is it's a really good game but mm-hmm. just like the source material every time i play it uh all the people i play it with are like i feel bad playing this game like it it, it does not <laughs> feel ethically right to play this game i mean even though yeah, it is kind of correct. like it's it's drawing attention to like hey isn't this weird um that Mm. this is a thing that everyone's into and like the the native cards are all really stereotypical like um rib meat you get another turn because you're you found a really tasty morsel and and stuff like that well and actually and that introduces a really good question or not even a question i think I'm, i'm gonna put a thing out there i think it is fundamentally impossible for white people to make a uh, a movie about this kind of thing without it being racist. Yes, like, I I yeah. think that it's safe to. You're not really saying anything uh, controversial there. No, 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 no. I think now you know, I will say yeah. that there are good quote good unquote cannibal exploitation films. Um, I am a fan of the Green Inferno, but they all mm-hmm. make indigenous people like scary. Well, and I think that you know, for uh, you, you know, within any subgenre or any niche, like there are good examples of the form and bad examples of the form. Where does Cannibal Holocaust fall on that spectrum? I mean, I think it's the the mold. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's the example that everything else... It's like uh, Halloween in the regard yeah. that, like, everything else after this that's doing kind of the same thing is necessarily drawing on this one, because it was the first to really do it. And and everything before it, this built on everything before it, so it's kind of, like, the, the best. Now, yeah. here's a question I have. Mm-hmm. Is Cannibal Holocaust societally damaging is it bad for society that this movie exists and that people watch it and i understand that like Mm -hmm. we're not proponents for censorship but we have night of something strange at the bottom of this list because it is actively spreading false information about sexual health and we have necromantic on the bottom of this list because (laughs) it's just not fucking necessary to watch and we have also not good yeah yeah so like for me i'm like look if you're if you're if you were gonna make the necro uh the 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 movie about necrophilia at least make it like a romp you know what i mean like this either needs to be brutal and unrelenting and like a real like oh i'm sorry did it just get extremely fucking real in my corpse sex movie or you need to make it a romp and it does neither so into the pit with it Or, like, The Predator is at the bottom of the list because it's really insensitive towards neurodiverse people. Yeah, So, like, Like, do we want to put this low because of its faults? Or do we, like... I don't think it's possible to turn a blind eye to it, but I think that that's going to really hamper it from getting... cracking the top of the list. Well, and and this is what it. This is the yeah. No, no, no. The thing is, I in good conscience could not put this toward the top of the list because, you know, for me, it's 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 the uh, well, it's duality, right? It's like on one hand, it's racist. There is fucking loads of animal cruelty on screen. There's depictions of sexual violence. There's like it's like the aristocrats joke, right? Yeah. Um. But on the other hand, it 
influenced so so many things like it afterward that and shockingly it's good cinema like it is made well yeah but that's the thing is like i feel i never feel like i'm watching a hokey mickey mouse cannibal film it pulls off the feet of making me feel like i'm actually watching this footage i think it's the same reason why blair witch works so well to me is because its commitment to building in universe is really strong. Now, I think one of the only things that uh, doesn't do it for me is the, and obviously this is, you know, I'm, I know that I'm tap dancing about architecture because this is pre, you know, sort of the, uh, all of the found footage movies that were going to happen. But I feel like a lot of, I hate it when found footage movies, like the rise of Leslie Vernon, like one of the reasons I don't care for that movie is because it drops its conceit uh, with like, 15 minutes left to go and then does it as a straightforward movie and to me breaks the entire spell it was trying to cast the entire time this movie um, does that too yeah which is what yeah it exactly starts with found footage then it's and then they we never saw them again and then mm-hmm. it's the guy trying to find it right and then i guess he's doing a documentary about trying to find it but yeah it gets so it gets very convoluted yeah to yeah yeah that i thought i wasn't paying attention because mm-hmm. I got my timeline of the film mixed up because I was looking to turn away at the right moment for the turtle scene. And I'm right. like, Oh, it's right here. Oh no, it's later in the film. What? And then it's because it's, it doubles back to, to watch the old footage. Right. It's kind of like that moment in the book Dracula where all of the characters in Dracula read the book Dracula to get caught up to speed about what's going on. Um, But yeah, I feel like the moment that it's doing that and kind of, you know, jumping back and forth like that, it breaks the spell a little for me. I feel like in terms of, and again, I'm I'm nitpicking a a deeply influential movie that did all this stuff first, but it, it takes me out of the narrative when I'm jumping around and wondering whose authorial voice I'm listening to, which narrative I'm looking at. Um, and so I think for that, it's, I, it, it, to me, it is, I mean, is it, a, I, defining this as a good or bad movie, I, I tried, okay, so uh, shout out to our Letterboxd account where I have been shitposting on movies um, from Rank and Vile. Um, I gotta point out, I tried going on Letterboxd to rate and review uh, Cannibal Holocaust in a pithy, like, one-sentence review, and I just gave up. Like, I don't know how you... <laughs> I don't know how you rate and make a pithy comment about Hannibal Col- uh, Hannibal Holocaust. Cannibal, Hannibal Holocaust. Nice, <laughs> Hannibal Holocaust is a nice guy. Don't worry about Hannibal Holocaust. Uh, Cannibal Holocaust. So, it reminds me a lot of Faces of Death, which we put uh-huh. at number 381. Because now, Faces of Death is also a movie that mixes real violence with simulated violence to which, create and, a sense of disorientation. Now, and, 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 and an interesting thing about that to me is that, so we're sort of on the other side of um, Hostel and the New French Extremity, and like, we've pushed, I feel like we've already pushed violence so far on a mainstream level that kids can watch disemboweling in like a PG-13 movie and be pretty much okay. Oh, um, yeah. Well, I mean, fucking Fortnite is a thing. Yeah. Um, well, I'm I mean, sorry. I just sounded like a very old man. <laughs> but it is we, we are wild very. that when we were children, mm-hmm. we had, like, squirt guns that looked like actual Uzis, just with a mm-hmm. red cap. And then, you know, I, I think many of us grew up and were like, oh, that was a bad idea. Let's not 
let our children play with guns or at least make them look very strange. And now, because right. of Fortnite, you can buy R- Nerf RPGs. <laughs> I This is, well, and, and this is, I feel like a lot of horror movies uh, right now and sort of forever have been kind of exploring the, like, what is the future of horror? Is it just going to be like a straight up snuff snuff movie? But it was already happening happening in nineteen eighty. Cut out. And it you know it kind of makes me wonder what where we go from here. You know, like I don't I don't know what that looks like. So yeah, so I think the question of what's the logical endpoint is an interest. I mean, it's an interesting question that I don't know that there's any great answer to because you know it's fully the year of our lord 2020 and you know we're not in the uh, moral majority uh, fever dream where kids are going to the movies to watch like a friday night snuff film at in imax yeah i'm a little disappointed that we're not in class of 1999 terminator <laughs> gym teachers but mm-hmm. um it's probably for the best well it's you know it's it's something to work up to so i'm looking at the bottom of the list uh or the top of the list but let's be honest the the bottom of the list um so here's Quincy, here's the question I have for you, because it's, uh, I think, one of the boss battles uh, on this podcast and in my personal life. At number 369, nice, we have Spooky Buddies. <laughs> Is Spooky Buddies better or worse than Cannibal Holocaust, and why do you think? Now, here's the thing. Spooky mm-hmm. Buddies is a far more recommendable movie. <laughs> that's that's true. I feel like I could recommend Spooky Buddies to somebody and remain friends with them afterward. I do not ever recommend this movie. In fact, no, no, no. It's it's a movie that I seldom talk about. And if someone right. brings it up, I'm just like, get out of here. No. Well, I mean, like, here's the thing. If I saw somebody with a sp- well, and, and this isn't necessarily representative of the movie's quality, but if I saw somebody at, like, a horror convention with a Spooky Buddies shirt, I would high-five them. If I saw somebody with a Cannibal Holocaust t-shirt, it'd be like, get a load of fucking Edgelord McGee over here. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, and this is coming from a person who bought Faces of Death merchandise recently. Oh, yeah, no, like, Faces of Death. <laughs> listen, we it's, it's a rollicking good time, is Faces of Death, in a way that Cannibal Holocaust, like, look, even if I could overlook the animal cruelty and the, 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 the crazy violence. Did we really need the racism? Like, did we need the anti-indigenous cannibal narrative? So, so and the other thing is, Faces of Death does not have bespoke animal mutilation. They just went to a... <laughs> no, they just went to mutilation. a factory farm and shot for a little while, whereas Cannibal Holocaust, they, they chartered a flight to South America... They flew across the fucking Atlantic, they landed, and they took knives and stabbed animals. Yeah, yeah, that that definitely happened. There and was, you cannot yeah. tell me they're just like, oh, I guess we'll do this. It's like, it's premeditated. Um, it was it was on their Google calendar, go to rainforests, murder wise giant turtle, and be damned to hell for all eternity for killing my giant wise friend. Yeah. Um, all right. So here's all right. So so moving down the list, which is better or worse, Goosebumps two or or Cannibal Holocaust at uh, three three hundred and seventy four. I mean, Goosebumps two does have. <laughs> it's got those gummy bears, I guess. <laughs> it does. That's true. And you know, the gummy bears also you can eat them, and also they're sentient beings. So. 
maybe Cannibal Holocaust and uh, Goosebumps 2, a little closer so than we'd like to. So 376 is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. Oh, wow, 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 wow. Okay, all right, okay, all right. I think I know. I think I know so, what it is. By that logic, it probably is not as good as Goosebumps 2, but better than Texas Chainsaw Massacre: <laughs> The Next Generation. I think so too. Um, I think I'm actually pretty comfortable placing it above Texas Chainsaw Massacre: The Next Generation at number 376, but below uh, that episode of Unsolved Mysteries, uh, season three, episode seven. At that's the one where the guy eats the can of chili every day. <laughs> Oh, it sure is. Yeah, no, that's a Hormel chili-eating motherfucker, and that's, yeah, that's exactly right. So, yeah, so I feel pretty good about putting it at our new number, 376, is 1980s Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, man. Ryan, where can our listeners find us online? <sighs> Hachimachi. Our listeners can find us on the internet at uh, rankandvile.com, also rankandvile.podbean.com, uh, which is where you can find the podcast. Um, they can find us on Twitter at RankinVileCast and on Tumblr at uh, JustRankinVile and on Instagram at JustRankinVile. Folks, save us from ourselves. If there is a movie out there that does not feature deluxe animal cruelty and racism, like let's say that you're sitting out there and you're like, when are these two jokers going to talk about The Dentist 2? Um, please don't request The Dentist 2. You're going to want to send that request to either RankinVileCast at gmail.com or drop it in our ask box on Tumblr at JustRankinVile. Um, we have a Patreon, uh, and I, you know, got a show for it. It's great if you sign up for um, just like $2, you get access to our show notes. $5 gets you bonus content and material. Uh, and uh, what's the, the highest here? It's $20? It's 25 and you get a quarterly subscription box. We're shooting for a February shipment. So you have um, the rest of January and... Uh, as long as you pay by, I think the payments go out December, uh, February 1st. So as long as you are subscribed by February 1st, you will get a box of uh, brand new Blu-rays, um, toys, trading cards, stickers. Uh, I think we stuff. still have some temporary tattoos to send. <laughs> uh, enamel pins, just all kinds Listen, of stuff. Listen, watch Cannibal Holocaust acquire temporary tattoos. That's the racket you can have going uh, due to your friends at Rank and Vile. But uh, barring that, that is about all I got. You got anything else? Stay spooky. Later, folks. <laughs>